Hello and welcome to Unbiased. I'm your host, Michael Hairston. I greatly appreciate you tuning in today. There are a lot of things vying for your attention and time, yet you chose to spend a few minutes listening to the words of wisdom and experience that I want to share today, and I do not take that for granted. So let's get into today's topic as we talk about things that can help empower your decisions and spark your conversation concerning personal finance. All right, everybody, thanks for joining. I have a special guest with us today. His name is Luke Fetlum with Porter Wright Morris and Arthur, and Arthur, right? That's the name of the law firm, right? Yeah, that's it. Yep, it's a mouthful, but you got it. It is, it is. So, I'm, <laughs> hey, man, I appreciate you joining our podcast today here on Unbiased Money. Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I appreciate it. I'm excited as well. So, you know, we got to get the first order of business out the way immediately. Okay. Porter, Wright, Morris, and Arthur. Arthur, so explain to me, why do law firms always have to have like 18 million names inside of them? And how do you guys, <laughs> as lawyers, even pronounce all of that and explain that to clients? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you, it's um, there's a long history. You know, people who start things want to have their names on it. Um, and so, you know, law firms just in general um, typically go with names and and. Porter Wright is really what we go by. So that'll make it a little bit easier for you. Porter Wright, that's, that's enough. It's porterwright.com, you know, so that's kind of the branding. Um, but, you know, it's always about like, you know, mixing and merging and all that kind of stuff, right? So um, Porter Wright, Morrison, Arthur is actually a representation of a lot of different people in, uh, in our firm's history that have been involved in kind of you know, helping to kind of create the firm that we have today. So it's a mouthful, but there's kind of meaning behind each of the names as part of uh, our firm name. So in reality, it's some some people got together, decided to start a business and everybody wanted to have their name on the business. That's really what you're saying, right? It's, it's, it's pretty much what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But hey, listen, I appreciate you joining today. And and for everybody who uh, who may not be familiar with Luke, the reason why I asked him to join is but Luke and I have a longstanding history. Um, all around good guy um, and one of the, the most upstanding uh, legal professionals that I do know. Not to say that they're all bad, but this one, you know, you will love hearing our conversation today. But if you ever get a chance to work with me, you also will love because his energy is definitely unmatched. Um, but he has he is truly passionate about what he does. And that's why I thought it'd be cool to have him on the podcast today, because Luke has a very interesting car career as a lawyer. And he does a lot within the sports and entertainment space. So I thought it'd be cool to have him in, on the podcast today to talk about his career and what he's doing now, but also the career path that he took to get him where he, where he is. So Luke, with that, what I want to do is ask you to, to provide for our audience more information about who you are, how you started um, your professional career and how it, how, how it drove you, drove, uh, not drove, but how it led you to where you are right now. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully everybody listening has another two and a half, three hours to listen to this while I go into my history. <laughs> but no, just kidding. It's um, I'll be brief, but it, it's it's interesting because I, I, I think back on my career quite often. And, uh, you know, a lot of times and this is just some some kind of free advice to anyone earlier in their career um, that's just thinking about their future is is that I've had a lot of diverse experiences but all of those experiences have led me to, uh, you know, allow my, my passion and my profession to really come together. 
um, in a unique way that allows me to do what I do today. So just to give you a sense of the history. So I'm originally from upstate New York and I went to Wake Forest University um, for uh, undergrad. Uh, I ran track at Wake. Now I only ran for a year uh, because I was I was high school good, <laughs> but not necessarily ACC good. Um, I had uh, I'd gotten an academic scholarship to Wake. So thankfully, um, you know, I ended up staying there and just had an absolute ball. And when I finished Wake, I knew I wanted to go to law school, but I really was, I was looking forward to just a break from school. Um, and so I thought, you know what, I'll work for a year, maybe two years, and then I'll go on to law school. So I had an opportunity to um, go work at an investment firm in Philadelphia. Now, mind you, I had taken zero business classes, zero finance classes, like nothing. I was a political science major. And so I was like, okay, this investment firm, you know, most of my job offers were like, were consulting firms, right? It was Anderson Consulting, because that's right before they went through their change to Accenture and like, you know, that kind of world. Uh, but when this investment firm said, hey, you know, they gave me an offer because they were trying to diversify the majors of people they were hiring. I said, you know what, I'll take, I'll take this chance. I, I absolutely. So moved to Philly. I will never forget sitting in orientation and they're talking about our own 401k, right? And they're talking about, you know, asset allocation and style drift and all this stuff that I was like, I have no idea what they're talking about. And I remember turning to the guy next to me, like, I don't think I made the right decision. Like I legitimately, I mean, I'm in orientation. I didn't even, hadn't even started like day one in my actual job and I was kind of blown away. So, um, but I stuck with it and they did a great job of training me and I got all my licenses and all that good stuff. And I just learned a ton. And, you know, to somebody who finance and capital markets and things like that was never part of the conversation in my family. Um, it was so great for me to feel like I'm learning something that whenever I would end up having a family, um, that I would be able to give them something that I didn't necessarily um, have myself. And so uh, the plan again was to be there for a year. And I ended up being there about five and a half years, um, really enjoyed what I was doing, learned a ton. And then from there, uh, I'd gotten recruited by a former colleague at the investment firm to a startup sports management company in Miami, Florida. Now, to set the context, it was, I was asked um, and got the offer around March, uh, and I think it was March of 2006. And we had just come off a pretty harsh Philly winter. And so then when somebody gives you an offer to go to South Beach, listen, I was on the first thing smoking. I didn't care what my job was. You could told me I was the janitor and I would have been there. Um, so we, listen, had a, it was great to be able to go down to Miami. Um, and so keep in mind now, my, my role was to work with athletes on the financial side. And this was 2006, 2007, 2008. And so we're going into this, you know, kind of subprime mortgage crisis. And, and even before that, um, you know, when this bubble was getting built, it was like everyone was trying to sell mortgages. Like you couldn't sell them fast enough. And all these crazy kind of 
programs. I know you remember, Michael. It's just like I had athletes that were targeted by their agents, by trainers, by anybody. Like, hey, it's a pick your payment mortgage. You don't even have to pay right away. Just get the house. You know, you get this mortgage and, you know, you can pay basically peanuts at first and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I felt like for me, it was about how do I protect these athletes from other people? It, it, it became less for me about, you know, what their financial return was. Okay, the market's down 12, but we only lost 10. Like, that's not something that necessarily made me feel great, right? Like, what made me feel great was when an athlete said, I think I want to start a foundation, but I don't even know where to begin. And we bring in a lawyer to help with that. Or, you know, when a player says, you know, somebody just gave me this deal, um, and we would do the due diligence on the financial side, but we bring in lawyers to kind of review it from a legal perspective. Like I really enjoyed that protection aspect. And that's when 2009, when the article from Sports Illustrated came out, how and why professional athletes go broke. And that's the one that talked about 78% of football players are broke or experiencing financial distress within two years of when they stop playing. And that really stuck with me quite a bit. So um, fast forward a little bit. I was also in the uh, Army National Guard. So 2009, I got called into a year of active duty. Um, and during that year was when I really kind of decided, like, you know, what is it that I want to do with my career? What is it like? Where do I want to go? I always thought about law school, but now I'm almost nine years out of school of undergrad. If I'm ever going to go kind of now is the time. So um, ended up going to uh, Ohio State for law school, excuse me, the Ohio State University for law that's, school. That's important. You got to put the thing in front of it. The that's Ohio right. State. That's right. It is. It is. For all of all your listeners who are in Central Ohio, they would they would come after me if I didn't say that. So um, went to the Ohio State University for law school. And from there, um, had the opportunity to go work at um, about a mid-sized firm, about 75 or so attorneys, um, was able to do mergers and acquisitions work, some other corporate work, but also was allowed to kind of explore working with athletes and starting to bring in um, athletes as clients because my focus has always been on the athlete being the CEO. Um, I did some time in-house uh, at Scott's miracle Grow that just continued to further kind of my corporate background and uh, understanding, and then decided that uh, I really missed working with athletes and decided to go uh, back to firm life and join Porter Wright. We'll just leave it at Porter Wright so that Michael doesn't have to say all four names again. Um, that. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, moved to Porter Wright where I led or lead the sports law practice. I'm a partner there. Um, and, you know, we're a firm that has our headquarters here in Columbus. We trace our roots back uh, nearly 180 years. And um, uh, we have offices in eight cities. And I get to, you know, kind of travel across the country working with our individual athlete clients um, and other entrepreneurs. And I absolutely love what I do. And I, there's no way I would be able to do what I do today as effectively as I can without the skills, the network, the exposure, and the experience that I was able to gain throughout my career. Man, you're, I, I, I love, always loved hearing your story about <clears throat> how you began your career, how you, um, and, and the various transitions you went through. And I like what you said when you first started, which is as we go through different iterations in life, you know, generally we are looking for things that kind of tie together 
and where you yeah. can take experience from one and then use that in a different a different segment of life and then you can take that experience and kind of keep moving on and moving on but you keep building upon your experiences that you've had so while listening to your story about your career it seems disjointed but reality was it helped you become even better at what you're currently doing today and it also helped you from what i'm hearing find your passion and that's the question i want to ask you you know i know you're passionate about you just mentioned that you're passionate about what you're doing and you absolutely love it like what would be the how would you describe why you're passionate what what drives you and and you feel what fuels your success at what you're doing today Ooh, so listen for you know i know you guys can't see me um i was sitting back in my chair and now i'm on the first three inches of my chair because i love this question i love I love talking about passion because it's something that is, it's, it's always so personal. Um, and it's yet, it's a word that's, you know, oftentimes overused or minimized. Um, but when you truly think of what it means to be passionate or to have passion, like, like, I mean, really like that strong feeling or emotion, right? Like, I mean, that, that to me is something that I think is, um, it's so important to talk about when you can best articulate it um, to yourself, right? Mm. And I've thought a lot about this over time. And, and, and I do a lot of interviewing in my role at the firm where I'm interviewing law students or interviewing um, uh, lateral uh, already practicing attorneys who want to come work at our firm. And what's interesting is a lot of times people will tell me because they know they see my background, they see that I, I do sports law. And they say, man, I'm so passionate about sports, like I love sports, and they want to talk about sports and teams and things like that. And don't get me wrong, I love sports, right? Like I, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a diehard Knicks fan. I know, I know things are at least looking up a little bit this year, but I've had 20 plus years of pain. Um, but it, <laughs> and then I'm an Eagles fan. And so I, I love sports. But that's not my passion in what I do. My passion is about educating and protecting young athletes as well as entrepreneurs. Educating and protecting young athletes and entrepreneurs. And, and the reason why is because I feel like they have such a great opportunity to positively impact themselves, their families, and their communities. Um, and as it relates to athletes in particular, you know, predominant number of athletes that I work with are African American. Um, they are targets for being taken advantage of by others. Um, they are targets of people kind of talking over their heads, um, trying to intentionally confuse them to just rope them into to being clients and things like that. And I really feel like my job is to be a protector of possibilities, right? To protect the possibilities that they have to have that positive impact. And that first foundational block of that is education. And so I focus on how do I educate my clients and how do I protect them as well? Passion and purpose. That's what I'm, yeah. you know, you, you, for all of us, you know, we all have a, a lot of things that we're passionate about and you know, you are, you, your passion and purpose merged together to allow you to venture forward and do what you do. Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, for me being a financial advisor and being blessed with the opportunity to work with professional athletes, that's not my passion. My passion is, is, is in, in the same veins as you is to educate and empower and equip. And yeah. 
you know, I think the lesson for all of us as we are listening to your dynamic story is, is to ask ourselves what, what, what is our passion? What drives us? And also look to see as we answer that question for ourselves regarding what our passion point is, is it, is it to connect to a, to some type of overall purpose, something that we can continue to walk out no matter what industry we're in. Like you went through That's 18, right. you went through 18 different industries as we're sitting here talking about your career. Not, yeah. not quietly that many, but you know, but as you went through different industries, yep. it all, everything was connected. You were passionate about everything because it tied back to your overall purpose, which is about educating and protecting the core athlete or the athlete and, and entrepreneurs who you ran across. Thus, it made your decisions easy about how you were taking your steps going forward in your career because it all tied back to passion and purpose. So I thank you very much for sharing that. That was that was very dynamic. So uh, key word for the key two key two words for the day. Make sure everybody writes that down, passion and in purpose. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So but, so you're, you're working with professional athletes. You also mentioned collegiate athletes. So one of the things that always struck me from the very first time I met you is mm -hmm. not only your passion and your purpose, but how you go about educating. And one of the big things that you, early on when we first got together, you spent a lot of time talking to me and to other people about was this thing about decision-making. Yeah. And, you know, I, I thought it'd be cool to kind of tap into that because it, it's such, we make decisions on a, on a, on a, on a subconscious level and almost like a, it's, it's almost like automatic about how we make decisions. But a lot of times we don't take in consideration the decisions that we're making and the impact that they're having. And I thought it'd be cool to maybe pull on you a little bit to talk about your conversations that you've had with athletes and other people regarding decisions that we make that impacts personal wealth. Because you being a former financial advisor, now being in the legal field, you mm -hmm. know a lot of investments, you know a lot about wealth and how decisions can impact uh, somebody's personal wealth as well as decisions yes. that they're making. So uh, take us through your interaction with today's athletes as you're talking to them about decision-making and the impact on, on uh, their personal wealth. Like, is the process the same for a collegiate athlete as it is for a pro athlete? Like, how do you help them see the power of the decisions that they're making so that they can be not only educated, but they can protect what they have but they can make sound and they can make sound decisions that can positively positively impact their personal wealth. Yeah, that's a that's a lot there and I think probably the best place to start first is to share with you why, why how does a lawyer get involved in kind of decision making, you know, conversations. Um and you know from that perspective it's like so I've worked with professional athletes now since, like I said, around 2006. And over the years, you start to see common trends, common themes, uh, commonalities in terms of how athletes are taken advantage of or how they've made poor decisions that, is, that have led to them having you know, uh, a negative you know, financial outcome based on, on a decision that they made or based on 
not making a decision, um, which is just as, as challenging sometimes because not making a decision is still making a decision. Um, and so I, I know that's, that's probably a little too deep. We'll, we'll just set that there on the no, shelf actually, right I now. mean, we could stop right there for a minute. If you really, <laughs> again, we have this, it's like the proverbial fork, fork in the road. You either do yeah. it or you don't. And a lot of times we're not sure about doing. So we're, while we're muddling and trying to think about the doing, we don't do. And in that you don't make a decision and then whatever opportunity was there, it's now gone. So it's I, gone. Powerful point. Yeah. Raised. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so doing this and 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 seeing this occur repeatedly with athletes, it, I, I've always thought about decision making, and and it just took me until a couple of years ago to finally put kind of pen to paper on this. So, I think giving some context it would help. As I spoke about earlier, when I talked about my passion, it's about education and protection, and so. A few years back, I started a company called Anomaly Sports Group. And Anomaly is solely focused on educating athletes. So it's basically taking kind of the one-on-one -on -one work that I do every day with athletes and translating the things that I'm seeing into workshops and conversations, presentations that I can then give to groups of athletes. So I love being able to work with athletes one-on-one -on -one, uh, but if I can now take the learnings and the things that I'm sharing with those athletes one-on-one, -on -one, kind of sanitize it, translate it, and create, you know, a workshop or a presentation out of it and share it with, um, you know, a full group, an entire athletic department, uh, a, an entire team, a pro team, rookies, whatever it is, and share the learning piece with them, share that education with them, that to me is, again, being able to truly feed my passion. Um, and, and, and able to make a positive impact myself um, out here in the world. So it was through Anomaly that I thought, what if I put together an actual presentation on decision-making? And I thought a lot about this. And if you think about it, athletes in particular are, they're, they're trained to make split-second decisions, right? I mean, their entire life, what, pick whatever sport you want to pick, athletes are making split second decisions all the time. So, um, and, and part of that is because just like you said, you know, Michael, when you talk about coming to that proverbial fork in the road, athletes have to make a decision to either be right or be wrong, but indecisiveness is not something that's allowed in sports, right? Like you've got to, you've got to commit one way or the other. And so when you, when you kind of think through that, it's like everything that's done, it, it's trained, it's rehearsed, it ha happens over and over and over. If you're a if you're a softball player, like think how many pitches you've taken your whole life, right? In batting practice, think about um, if you're a basketball player, like how you've worked on defensive strategy, worked on you know jump shot release, whatever it might be. Like I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times, and so you're you're able to consume a lot of information so that you can make a decision quickly. But what happens is, is that in, in, in most situations, people don't help athletes understand how to slow their decision-making process down mm -hmm. for decisions that they're faced outside of their sport. And so athletes who are trained to make split-second decisions sometimes can be in a challenging spot when they have life decisions outside of their sport. And so... 
what we've created was an athlete decision-making model. And, uh, and I call it reap R E A P. And it's the notion that you reap what you sow. All right. So what you put into your decision-making process, that's, what's going to help you and, and determine what you get out of that process. And the R is for recognize a decision because you need to recognize that there's a decision that you actually have to make. And there may be multiple decisions, even though you feel like initially it's just, Oh, you know, somebody presented me with this investment opportunity. So my decision is just, should I do it or not do it? Um, but maybe that's one decision, but there could be other decisions that come with it too. Like, do I even want to make, you know, um, uh, investments into private companies? Do I even, does this even fit in line with, you know, the investment strategy that I have? Do I even trust the person that brought it to me? Maybe I want to do it, but I don't trust the person that brought it. I mean, there could be a whole host of decisions that you then are making, but understanding what those decisions are, recognizing the decisions is a critical first step. Then you need to evaluate information, right? So the E in this is evaluate information. So now you got to start pulling in all the information. So using the questions that I just raised, you know, in the previous step, now you're thinking about, okay, you know, what information do I know about this company or about this opportunity? What information, you know, also known as due diligence, what due diligence do I have on this particular advisor, this person is bringing it to me? What do they get out of it? Um, how does this, you know, when I look at uh, how this fits into my overall kind of asset allocation or my overall kind of investment portfolio, like what what's my current um, exposure to things that are are risky, right? Like it, it now you're starting to gather as much information as possible, and this is where, this is where you start leaning on other advisors, right? So this is where if you're someone out there, you've recognized the decision you have to make. You're starting to gather information. This is where you know you might call on Michael and say, "Hey, I've been presented with this. Like, what are your thoughts, right? Because when you do that at this stage in the in the process. It's much better. And I tell this to athletes all the time. Like if you're an athlete, let's say you're a college athlete and you're debating whether you're going to go to, um, you're not going to be a professional athlete. So you're deciding whether you're going to go to grad school or if you're going to go to the work into the working world, right. And get a job. If you just start there and ask, you know, let's say parents or a teacher or a mentor or a friend, and you just say, Hey, I'm debating between these two, two things. Like, what do you think? Most people are going to tell you one of those two things and their response is going to be colored by their experiences and their perspectives. But if you were to actually say, Hey, I've been going through this process here, are the different decisions that I'm making, here's the information that I've gathered. Now, what, what do you think based on what you see here right now? That's a much different type of conversation as opposed to just, Oh, do this or do that. So, so then you move on to the a, which is analyzing your options. So now you start to say, okay, so I know this information. I know the decisions that I'm that I've articulated for myself. Now, now, what are my options? And again, you can bring in out, you know, outside advisors and other people to help you identify what those options are. And you go through. You can compare the options. You can you can realize that okay, maybe this isn't a binary decision, a yes or a no, a this or a that, right? Maybe this is something where I could negotiate to say yes, I do want to do this deal, but no, I don't only want you know, 1% of the deal, I want 10% of the deal, whatever it, whatever it is, but that's where you start to realize like, okay, my options are, are vast when I realize that I can actually negotiate these things. And if somebody wants my money or wants me to invest, then, you know, they'll, they'll negotiate with me. And then finally, it leads to P, produce the decision, right? And that's where you actually kind of rubber hits the road. You know, you review and make sure that you have someone review anything before you sign it, but you ultimately 
produce your decision based on the process that you have. Now, this process is not going to always get you to the right answer, but what it is going to do is ensure that you are making an informed and educated decision because you've thought through the process. So that was a mouthful. So I'm going to pause there to get your reaction, Michael. What you think? Hey, man, I, I love it. I'm, and you know, the REAP acronym was purely spectacular. And I, you know, and listening to you, I've had the, the pleasure of listening to you talk about REAP in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the audience can see the value, no matter if you're a professional athlete or you're an entrepreneur or you're someone who's in the midst of career changes or wherever you are, or you're just making investment decisions, period. The fact that you have to recognize your decision, recognize a recognize the potential opportunity, evaluate that information, and then analyze your options and then uh, then from there, produce a decision. Those first three pieces is what I found to be, to me, killer. You got to recognize, yeah. evaluate, and then analyze. And what I also liked about what you just said, that is something new. That's why I love having this conversation with you, because it's always something new that I did not pick up on before, is your ability to be able to recognize and evaluate. Those are things, or, or due diligence, as you put it, which is true, due diligence. That mm-hmm. is something everyone should do on a personal level first. Yes. Your own due diligence first and be able to formulate your your thoughts, get, build a framework. Yeah. Then you go pull in the, the advice and expertise and the opinions of others to continue to figure out if the frame that you built needs to be expanded, shrunk, or thrown away altogether. And then once you do that, then you go on to analyzing your options. You know, And if I could, just for a second, you know, I want to pull on you a little bit to talk a little bit more about that due diligence process, because you started to talk about this, where you're you, mm-hmm. you as an attorney getting involved in the in in the um, in the decision process for uh, athletes, entertainers. It, it doesn't matter. How do you help someone understand the importance of due diligence and, and whatever opportunity they're currently facing? Um, and what is that conversation usually like with that particular person to get them to have their eyes open to understand the importance of due diligence? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, uh, <laughs> it's a million dollar question right there. I think the first thing that I try to do is, you know, understand kind of what, like what they're trying to achieve. All right. So, um, there's, there's a lot of different ways that I'm going to kind of try to answer this question and just to hopefully give the, the listening audience some, some additional context. One of the first things that I talk about is, you know, hey, um, what do you want to get out of this? Like, what are, what are you trying to do? Um, and I get all different kinds of answers depending on whatever the opportunities are. Um, and so I, I, underst- I want to understand that so that I can understand, is this something that's very meaningful or is this something that's like, uh, uh, it's just another investment. If it works out, that's great. Or, you know, I'm not tied to it. And I want to understand that because my next, my next step is going to be identifying all of the legal risks, right? And that's going to be, you know, another way of showing the importance of due diligence, which is, hey, um, you could literally lose all of your money investing in this, you know, particular business this way in this structure. Like, so are you okay losing the whatever the number is, 5,000, 50,000, 500,000, like whatever, whatever that number is that you're that the client or that someone's being asked to invest, like, are you okay with losing that? Um, sometimes people will say yes, 
right? I mean, usually it's smaller amounts and that kind of thing. And that helps us to understand the, the depth of due diligence that we're going through, right? So if it's somebody that let's just say is a multimillionaire that is doing a speculative investment of, you know, $10,000 into something that $10,000 isn't as meaningful, you know, um, in the same way, if they were to lose it as it is to someone else that $10,000 makes up, you know, a significant percentage of their overall portfolio or what have you. Um, so we always want to kind of understand that you got to understand the situation that you're in, but here's the, 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 I think the more important part is it's, it's all about how would you feel, right? This, this goes back to like behavioral economics, right. And like behavioral finance, like how would you feel if you don't see this money again? Or how would you feel if you don't see this money for a very long time because it's locked up in a way that you can't access it? How does that fit? Like, and 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 so I, if we can understand both the risks that are presented by the opportunity, as well as and kind of marry that, almost if you created an equation, right? Where it's like, okay, um, the the individual's desires of what they're trying to achieve, what they want to gain, right, and then plus the um, you know the risks associated, et cetera, ultimately then equals like kind of how, what we want to do and how we want to go forward. And, and so what I mean by that is I've had situations where a, an, a client would tell me, I really want to do this. And I, there's one that always sticks out in my mind. It was a real estate deal for real estate development. Uh, a, a former NBA player who was transitioning out of the um, out of the league, and he had said he wanted to do this, and it was a significant amount of money. Um, and he, it was he he said it's a real estate development deal, and I said, okay, great, send me the paperwork. I'll take a look at it. And so he sends me the paperwork. It was three pages long. Now, for those of you who don't know a real estate deal, you're not going to do a real estate deal in three pages, um, let alone, especially when the, the third page was like the signature page. So it, it was, it, it, there's just no way, right? That's one of those deals that I look at that I'm like, you cannot sign this as is. But that's when then I asked him like, what, why do you want to do this? Like, what's your why, right? Like we all should have a why. Like if it's so... If someone says, oh, man, I really want to get in cryptocurrency, um, and I say, okay, why? And they say, um, oh, it's just because everybody else is doing it. Well, that means you're probably late to the game already, right? Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't really want to learn and understand it, then that's probably more risk because you're not going to know what to look for and all that kind of stuff. So, so with this particular deal, when I understood his why, he shared with me, you know, I've known this developer for a long time. Um, I want to, he's going to allow me to like tag along on a deal basically so that I can start learning how to do it. And he might be someone that I partner with on deals going forward. So, okay. So now I realize this is much more of a professional play in terms of, you know, post, um, athletic career profession. Now that's a bit different. So now my thing is, okay, if I just flat out say no, then the risk is that the athlete's going to just go ahead and sign the three pages anyway and, and keep it moving. Cause that's, it's important to them in terms of the next steps in their, in their kind of life, the life chapter. So what we ended up doing was talking a little bit more about this and we ended up restructuring it instead of just like equity or ownership in, in this, um, this development, we did it where it was debt and we did a debt deal so that he could have a mortgage on the land. So if everything went belly up, he could still have, you know, some securitized um, investment that he made. So, so we were able to kind of restructure it in a way that made sense. And that's why 
when you go through your decision-making process and you have allow for a space for outside experts, for outside advisors who are qualified at what they do to come in and share information, you can start to learn that, okay, I don't have to just do something the way someone presented it to me. I can potentially do it in another way. And everybody was happy with it, right? Because it ended up that the, the real estate developer, um, dude, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to take advantage of the player. So he was totally fine um, signing off and allowing there to be a mortgage on the actual land itself and things like that. So it all ended up working out, but that, that it worked out because we were able to talk through and help folks understand alternate ways to do things. So truly, again, understanding why you want to do something, understanding kind of what you're trying to get out of it, understanding the risks, right? And then ultimately that will then lead to hopefully uh, an informed decision that you make on potential opportunities. You know, that example that you gave was just powerful because um, it, it shows the, the collaboration between client advisors, you being one of the advisors and then other people to get something done and to do yeah. something that the client was highly interested in and definitely had, and it was their why, this is why I want to do this, but there was collaboration to make that happen. And that that's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm glad it worked out the way it did, but something that I want to throw out, cause yep. you know, I'm all about kicking over sacred cows and everything. Right. So, <laughs> um, you know, that uh, call me the disruptor. So I love it. I love it. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I've run across and I want to ask you to, to give an opinion, not opinion. I want you to, get, to give a rebuttal to what I'm about to say. Okay. One of the things I run across quite frequently when I'm talking to athletes, entertainers, um, entrepreneurs, just say people in general, Hey, I like what you're talking about doing. Have you considered working with a lawyer? And the responses that I get from the people, man, they vary. I, they mm -hmm. go all over the board. But the general premise that I hear for why they won't work with a lawyer is cost. Mm. Cost or they're, they're not going to see my vision. And I think I can just do this on my own. So I'm going to ask you, give a rebuttal to why is necessary. You kind of did, but I'm, I'm going to ask you to frame it up a little bit different. Yeah. Your example gives you a story. The, your story gives the, the, the answer, but I want to ask you flat out, why would a, somebody need to call a lawyer when they're thinking about evaluating the deal? Yeah. See, listen, this, this is why I like being on this podcast, man. You listen, this, this right here is like one of those softball pitches that like, I'm like, I'm standing in the batter's box. Like just <laughs> my leg is twitching. Cause I'm ready to just go ahead and swing this thing. Listen, I, the, the bottom line answer to that is, um, oftentimes, and I mean that oftentimes it is, it can be much more expensive for you, uh, to not engage a lawyer than, um, what we cost to do what we need to do. Now, let's break that down a little bit. So um, when, when you are thinking about a deal, th there's a few things that you're going to be um, exposed to, right? One is obviously the financial piece. And that is, hey, if the deal is structured um, poorly, you may never see that money again. All right. So, so let's, let's think about it. Because again, if we as lawyers a good ethical lawyer, right? We would charge, obviously, much, much less if you're making a, an investment into a private business of, you know, $5,000 that you wanted to invest in a business, 
versus $500,000, right? If you're investing $500,000 into a business, it's probably a much more technical and complex. Um, and so there's going to be more time needed to go through all of the documents and make sure everything aligns with securities laws and all that kind of stuff. Um, if it's $5,000, uh, you know, it, it, it's like, you don't need to pay a $5,000 legal bill if you if you're only making a $5,000 investment into a business. So, you know, we may take a look at it and just, you know, spend an hour giving you a quick overview and maybe that's just, you know, a couple hundred bucks or a few hundred bucks, right? But but would you spend a few hundred dollars to protect 5,000? I mean, it kind of sounds sounds like you should. I mean, you know, I think um I, you know, my, so for Michael knows me and I think, you know, the, the, some listeners, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I'll tell you, my mind bounces all over the place all the time. Right. And I think about it from like, if you're sitting at the blackjack table and you've got like, you know, whatever it is that the dealer, it, uh, if the dealer's showing a face card, like you can buy, or no, if the dealer's showing an ACE, you can like buy insurance or whatever. And most of the time people like don't buy insurance. And, and why? Because maybe you're playing $15 or something like that. And it's like, why do I want to pay for the insurance? But if you, but that's, that's in a minimal amount, right? If you're, if you're making an investment that's meaningful to you, you should absolutely have someone pay someone to review it. And here's why. When you, like, there are certain documents when you're making an investment in a business to become an owner, to become, um, you know, uh, uh, even a creditor, if you're doing it on the, on the debt side uh, of a company. And not only do you have the risk of never seeing your money again, if it's not structured the right way, but you also have the risk that this particular structure to us, we might look at it immediately and say, no, this is running afoul of so many securities laws because the issuer, the company that's doing whatever they're doing, their fundraise, you know, trying to raise capital and things like that, there are certain rules that they have to follow, right? Otherwise, you run, you could run into issues with the SEC, you know, you could run into issues, um, you know, with just securities law in general. And so you really, really want to take the time to, um, to pay for pay for uh, an attorney. Now, here's the thing to to uh, to Michael's point. Attorneys are, um, you know, there are, are so many different types of attorneys in different locations that charge differently that have different skills. Um, and so, you know, if, if, if you could imagine L.A., New York, Right. You're going to have high, you know, expensive lawyers, the expensive hourly rate because they they typically are have to cover their, you know, real estate costs, their overhead costs and all that kind of stuff. And New York is expensive. And so, you know, lawyers in New York are expensive. And that's kind of how, you know, economics works. Um, you know, here kind of in the Midwest, we have the fortune of of not having to charge as much. And so, um, you know, it, it's great to be able to for me to work with athletes all across the country. Um, and be able to, you know, just charge them, you know, our hourly rate for what we do. So long winded answer to your question, hopefully it got to the to the heart of it. But at the bottom line is, oftentimes, it's worth paying the money to know what you're getting into, rather than just go ahead and signing something, not realizing what you're going into, and then finding yourself in a situation where two years from now, you want to get that money back. And they're telling you, you can't get the money back. And you decide that you want to sue, and now you're filing a lawsuit, which is going to be much more expensive, only to realize that actually that's what you signed, and then you can't get out of it. 
And so then you're going to have to try to come up with some other legal arguments to get out of it, fraudulent inducement or whatever. And that just starts making your bill go higher and higher and higher. So hopefully that gives you kind of a sense of the importance of engaging um, attorneys in these types of private investments. I appreciate your answer. And, you know, listen, I'm always advocating for having a team of people, qualified people, including an attorney, always available for you, no matter where you are in your life. So whether you are a professional athlete or a collegiate player who's about to go pro or you're an entrepreneur, or you could be a career person, but you're interested in doing some type of side hustle, having a team of qualified individuals in your corner can save you so much time, headache and hassle. So, but I'm not a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I didn't sleep in a Holiday Inn last night. I slept in my own bed, but I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, I don't play that role and I don't want to, but I want everyone else to hear from you, you know, what your, how you would rebut, rebut such a, rebut that sacred cow. Cause that does come up a lot. Let's, let's, let's not get it twisted. Here at Unbiased, we're always about being real. People always are kind of concerned about attorneys getting in and, and uh, either slowing down a process, mucking up the works or overcharging. But the one thing I do want to say um, that is a benefit and it's something that you said earlier. Yep. And that when we're talking about decisions, having a qualified lawyer involved can help slow down the decision process. Absolutely. You know, and I think that that is one of the reasons why you absolutely should pay, not just for the service, but for the ability to slow a process down to fully go through the REAP model that you Mm -hmm. laid out for all of us, at least in my opinion. So, because, you know, while time is money, you also need to be efficient about how you're using your time. And you also want to be smart about where you're placing your investments. Yeah. Listen, you're, you're absolutely right. I think, um, you know, I would just add to that to say, in addition to slowing the process down, you now have someone who's your advocate that really you can use however you want to. So I've been in position where I've been the bad guy, you know, I've been the one slowing things down all because in conversation with the client, they say, I'm not sure I need more time. Can we slow this down? And then me as a lawyer can very easily reach out to the other side and say, Hey, we haven't had a chance to get through all the documents yet. You know, we'll need another day or two or whatever it is. Like we get, we can, we act on our client's behalf. And so Um, we can be that bad guy that says, hey, these terms are unacceptable and these are the terms that we would need to see or or what have you. And so instead of you having to, you know, as the potential investor, having to kind of fight that fight, um, you've got somebody that'll fight that fight for you. Yeah, you know, and it's about using your team. I mean, because any investment that you make, you know, you want someone who's going to be there to fill in roles and responsibilities that you may not be qualified for or cannot or cannot fulfill at that particular point in time. Like you said, playing the bad guy or, or what have you, or somebody who can see things from a different perspective. Thank you for tuning in today to this episode of Unbiased. I hope today's conversation empowered your decisions and sparked your conversation or maybe even sparked a different thought concerning your personal finances. And I greatly appreciate you again tuning in today. Feel free to reach out to me uh, via social media. My Twitter handle is Hairston, that's H-A-I-R-S-T-O-N underscore Mike. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Michael G. Hairston, MBA, or 
you can reach out to me via email at michael at alpha financial that's one word dot com again that's email is michael at alpha financial dot com thank you very much and i look forward to speaking to you again soon